Jesus has a heart for you. He came to rescue us from darkness, to bring hope to the hopeless, to reconcile marriages and families, to make the dirty clean, to heal the brokenhearted, and to give us new hearts. These are the things that make Jesus' heart beat faster. Good morning. Very good. Woo! It's going to be a good day, good day. Man, worship was awesome this morning. Love praising Jesus with you guys. So cool. And how powerful is it when we come together um, around the gospel and to proclaim the greatness and goodness of God in our lives? Man, I'm telling you, it is unbelievable. My favorite thing. Better than the Super Bowl. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Speaking of the Super Bowl, how many of you are pulling for the 49ers? 49er fans? How many of you are pulling for the Ravens? I mean, obviously, obviously God is on their side because of Ray Lewis. So, um, and how many of you are just in it for the fellowship and commercials? Yeah, that's me. That's me. Um, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun tonight. We'll get you out of here probably about 530 so you can get home in time for the Super Bowl. Um, but uh, another thing I wanted to clear up real quick um, is there was a little mystery left from the service last week. Um, as to what was causing the stink in my wife's car, if you remember that, uh, we didn't know. Somebody was like, what was it? I was like, I don't know. They were like, why didn't you tell us? I was like, because I don't know. And the mystery was discovered. It was a big rat. It was huge. And, and the guy was like, how big was it? He just said, it was a big one. That's all he said. So I'm guessing it was pretty big. So, there, so the mystery is discovered, the smell is gone, and uh, we are back to normal, so you can stop praying for us. I know you're concerned. Um, also, I want to remind you that February 24th, we are having our baptisms, um, and that's going to be incredible. We've already heard several people who feel that their next step of faith is to profess publicly their faith in Jesus and be baptized. We're going to be heading straight from the service over to Splash in the Borough. We're going to have some food. We're going to have awesome fellowship and an awesome celebration um, of people publicly uh, making a statement that they have gone from death to life in Jesus. And it is going to be absolutely incredible. If you know that's your next step, you've never been baptized as a believer in Christ, you can sign up at one of our next steps tables, email us, grab one of us by the arm, show up that day, um, you know, and it'd be cool. So uh, we'd love to have you do that and take your next step. All right, today we're continuing Heartbeat. Week three, we're going to be in Matthew chapter nine. You have your Bibles, you can turn there with me to Matthew chapter nine, and uh, we'll be reading there in just a second, verses nine through 13, and um, we're going to jump in there. But listen, today I want to really talk to you about this reality and about the heart of God, the, the fact that Jesus' heart beat, not just beat, but beat faster for people who are far from God. In other words, Jesus' heart beat to reconcile sinners to the Father. That's good news, right? Because guess what? We all sinners. So apart from him, we couldn't know the Father. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Um, we'll begin reading there if you want to open your Bibles. Let's dig in. Verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat 
with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And God, I thank you for this opportunity, Father. We do not take this time lightly when we open your word. God, we believe your word is true and we believe that it is living and active, that it impacts our lives and it impacts our heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use the sword of the Spirit, God, to impact us now. Cut us deeply at the core. That our eyes would be opened and we would see you, know you, and live a life that is devoted to you. Open our eyes today to see you clearly, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. How many of you remember when you were little? I know for some of you that's like way, way back, right? When you were a young, young person and uh, maybe you had an opportunity to go to the beach. I realize if you lived here, you're not that far from the beach, may not have been that big a deal, but some of you lived a long way from the beach and you had an opportunity to go to the beach. Anybody remember that? Maybe one of the first times you went to the beach. And, and I remember when I was younger, we lived in West Georgia. And so um, we didn't get to the beach a lot, but once a year, we would typically make a trip down to the Gulf Coast and uh, I would get to see the ocean. One of the things I specifically remember is from the time we would leave the house to the time we would get to the beach, one of the questions I would ask is, are we there yet, right? If you have kids, you understand that. Um, But the other question I would constantly ask is, is that the ocean? You know what I mean? Are we right by a pond? Is that the ocean? Or we go across, you know, a, a mud puddle. Is that the ocean? What is, is that the ocean? And I was always like so excited about the ocean. Um, my kids do the same thing. When we leave the house, you know, it's like, is that the ocean? That's the Geechee River. We've driven across it a hundred times going to Savannah. And everything, especially when you get to like the intercoastal waterway and you start going through the marsh and all that stuff. And they're like, is that the ocean, daddy? Is that the ocean? No, son, it's not the ocean. And then finally you get to that point where you can say, look, son, it's the ocean. And they got their face pressed up against the glass. They're fighting to try to see who can get over there to see the ocean. And they're just absolutely enamored by it. They're amazed by it. It's the most awesome thing in the world. I remember as a child walking down to the ocean, like literally getting dizzy watching the waves come in because I'm like, I want to go in. No, I don't. I want to go in. I don't. And so it was just this back and forth thing. And, but I was amazed by the ocean. It was so big. It was so amazing. Literally before me was a miracle of God that he spoke into existence, that he carved out with his hand. And I would sit there and look at it and I would be awed. This week, um, Susan and I had an opportunity. Um, somebody gave us a two free nights at a condo in Amelia Island. So we left on Thursday morning, went down there Thursday night, came back late Friday night, had a really, really good time. And, and so we get down there, we get to Fernandina, which we've been to a couple of times before on vacation. I come up to A1A, there's a little roundabout. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I turn to the right to go down towards um, Amelia Island and we're riding along and daylight you know, um, pretty day, sunny, and we're riding, and I realized we're about a mile down the road before I even realized the beach was to my left. And I was like, well, there's the ocean. Cool. And kept on driving. And I realized in that moment, it went off like a light. I was like, that doesn't amaze me anymore. 
That, that huge miracle that is out there that God spoke into existence, that the tide comes in and out so much, so faithfully, so consistently that we can actually chart it, that we know when it's going to be high, when we know it's going to be low, we can chart it, we can follow it. We know it's there. Like nobody ever walked out on, on vacation and the ocean was gone. It's just there. Like God's faithfulness, it's just there. And I realized I was no longer amazed by it until I really began to think about it. And I really began to think about how big it is and how amazing it is. How awe-inspiring it really is. That you can look and you can look and you can look. You can't see the other side. You can't begin to grasp how huge how wide and how amazing it truly is. Now bring this back to the church because this is what I believe is a huge problem in the church today is that we're no longer amazed. We're no longer captivated. We're no longer inspired by the fact that Jesus calls sinners into a relationship with him. Somehow it's lost its awe. Somehow we've, we've lost the, the, all of the fact that God called us sinners to be in a relationship with him, to know him. Somehow so many of us who know Christ can go through every single day of our life until Sunday morning when we have to come to church and listen to some guy talk for 45 minutes. Listen, we, until that day, we can go through every day of our life and never be awed, never be inspired, never be grateful for the miracle that is not just before us, but that is in us, that is God's presence in a life that has been sanctified by the sacrifice of Jesus. Y'all get your hands loose. Go ahead, loosen them up. Just, just get them ready. And listen, somehow we've lost the, all this. Listen, when Jesus called Matthew, he called a man who was a sinner. He didn't call a choir boy. He didn't go into the synagogue that was like their church and say, if you're really good and nobody can say anything bad about you, come with me. He went and he found the worst of the worst. We talked last week about this leper who was unclean, whose, whose uh, life was not whole, whose life was in shambles because he had contracted this disease called leprosy, which was a skin disease with varying levels of, of uh, severity. And, and we realized that this guy wasn't whole, but Jesus is goal was to make him whole. What we need to realize, and many of us would just blow over this as if it were an IRS agent, like, well, I don't really like him because he takes my money, but probably not that bad of a dude, right? This guy was despised. In fact, he would have been a Jew ethnically, but he would not have been an observing Jew. They despised this guy. He was disgraced, a disgrace to his family. Nobody liked him. He made his living cheating other people. And when you begin to look on the wrong of what they would have considered sinners, this dude was at the bottom. So when Jesus went and he calls Matthew, he was literally scraping the bottom of the barrel. He was literally going to the worst of the worst and not just saying, hey man, what's up? But hey man, come follow me. This was scandalous. This was intense. It wasn't like we read it just black words on a white page. This ought to make us go, whoa, he called him. He called him to follow him. 
It ought to be awe-inspiring. It should send chills down our spine as we see that Jesus called this type of guy. You can tell from the response of the Pharisees. Why is he doing this? Doesn't he know who this guy is? And Jesus makes a statement that should be the best news we've ever heard. Is He says, I didn't come to call those who are healthy, but to call those who are sick. Can we admit this morning that in some despicable way, we are all sick? Can we admit this morning that apart from the cure, Jesus, we are doomed. Because we're all sick. Because of the same disease, it is a disease called sin. But praise God that he called us out of sin and death into his marvelous light through his son, Jesus. How amazing and how awesome is this? Jesus wasn't trying to fill out a 12-man roster called apostles. He wasn't trying to fill out a team for a flag football game. Jesus, in calling Matthew, was making a clear and definite statement that I've come for those who have no hope. I've come for those who are like sheep without a shepherd, who are scattered, who are without direction. I've come to be a living hope to them. That's what Jesus is telling us. I want you to understand, Jesus is not ignoring sin. It's very evident. He knew it was right before him. He knew it was all around him. Jesus was not ignoring sin. He just knew he had the cure for it. Jesus isn't just saying, it's okay. Continue to live how you want to live. Jesus is saying, my grace does not allow you, just allow you to continue to walk in darkness. My grace is going to call you from it. Listen, his grace, one person thought it's good. Maybe if y'all hear it again, you'll all think it's good. Jesus is saying, my grace does not allow you to continue to walk in darkness. It calls you from it. He becomes a light unto our path. He becomes a light unto our feet so that we don't stumble around groping for this thing that's going to satisfy. He flips on the light and we realize that he is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure that we've been looking for. And we come to this place of realizing that Jesus saves sinners and he can even save me. How amazing. How awesome. And yet we get to this place where I look at the church and I'm like, why are we not telling people that? Why are we keeping the best news that's ever been spoken from people? How's the church gotten so far from God's heart for people? How has it become what it's become? How has it become this thing that so many people hear church and they're turned away if i came up to you and i said you have an incurable disease but guess what i have the cure and i can tell you how your life will be fulfilled and how you can have joy unspeakable would you hate me so how has our message gotten so jacked up 
How has it come to this place where we, we've no longer become a living and breathing refuge for sinners, but we've become a museum for the self-righteous? How? How? Because I'm telling you, if we're just going to be a museum, if we're just going to be a place where people can come in and hang up their Christian artifacts and say, look at this, look at what I did, look at who I am. And let's quit right now. We're already having light trouble this morning. Let's just cut them off and go home. But if we're going to be a living and breathing refuge for sinners, for people who need the grace of God, man, I'm all in. Because I know the power of Jesus that changes hearts. I know the power of God that can save me. And listen, this is something we're all guilty of. Every one of us. We lose sight of Jesus and we begin to put our trust and our hope in what we can do. And I believe the issue, I believe the way that we've gone from being a church that offers scandalous grace. I mean, scandalous. I'm telling you, ticking religious people off scandalous grace and unconditional love without prerequisites, without prequalifications. The way we've gone from being that church, I mean, big C, the church, to being what we've become. I believe this with all my heart is that we have forgotten our own need for grace I believe that with all my heart somehow these Pharisees had come to a place where they thought we can just put on a good enough show everybody thinks we're okay and guess what we got them fooled they'll even come to us they'll look up to us they'll think we've got something they don't but here's the reality nobody liked them I would ask you this, as a church, as Christians, are we attractive to the lost? Do people want what we have? Are they repulsed at the thought of it? Have we forgotten our state that we were in when Jesus came to us? Think about this. Think about the moment that you encountered the grace and the power of Jesus and your heart was transformed. I know a lot of you. I know who you were. I know who you are. I I sound like I'm like coming at you. I'm really not. I know who you are and I know where you sleep and I promise you, I will get you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, listen, I know who you are. I know where you were. I know because I was doing a lot of it with you. Go back to that place when Jesus transformed your heart, when you experienced the power and the grace of God and your life became new and your heart was transformed. Remember that state? Remember that death? Remember that feeling of, I don't even know why I exist. And now think about what God has done for you, what he's brought you from. Don't forget all of his benefits, that he's healed you from this disease called sin and begin to praise his name because of what he's done. Have you forgotten the state you were in when he called you because if you have we need to go back and revisit that we can't ever forget how jesus has transformed our life i believe we've lost our identity and there's two places that i typically see people one is that i see people who are unable to see themselves as god sees them through the lens of jesus 
I see people who are unable to see themselves the way God sees them through the lens of Jesus. And people have a hard time, man. They have a hard time believing I'm okay. They have a hard, I mean, like believing you're okay. You probably have a harder time believing I'm okay. But you have a hard time believing like I'm okay. I'm okay with God. We talked about last week, the scoreboard got destroyed. The scales got destroyed. They have a hard time. But then there's another way we see ourselves. And oftentimes, somehow, simultaneously, that we're unable to see ourselves as God would see us without the lens of Christ. We forget how God would truly see us. Somehow our religious efforts and all of our church attendance and all of our religious songs that are on our iPod and all of the messages we listen to online, somehow we begin to think that if God sees that, he must be pleased. Here's the reality. And this is according to the prophet Isaiah that your most, your best deeds, the best things you've ever done are filthy rags before God. If we see ourselves as we would be seen without the lens of Christ, it's scary. It's deplorable. It scares us. I will tell you this, if we lose sight of our need for grace, if we lose sight of our need for Jesus, if we forget who we were and what Jesus has saved us from, it's not because we've become so holy but because we're no longer growing closer to Jesus. No one grows closer to Jesus and sees their sin less. That would be like me painting a painting and holding it up on this side of the room and putting a Rembrandt on this side of the room, right? And be going, look at my awesome painting. Isn't it beautiful? First of all, no, it would not be. But second of all, even if you thought that was nice, as I brought it over and I began to put it on this wall next to the one that is artistic perfection, you wouldn't see my painting's flaws less. You would see them more. And it's the same way with Christ. Somehow we believe That as we grow closer to Christ, we become so holy and we do move closer to holiness. But we become so holy that we could stand and look Jesus eye to eye. And not even the apostle John, who according to himself is the disciple that Jesus loved, could look Jesus in the eye without falling on his face before him. Neither you nor I can either. I'm telling you, you got to stay with me. You got to stay with me here. Listen, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how quickly skeptical non-believers, those outside who are skeptical, meet Jesus and then become critical believers. How do we go from skeptical to critical so fast. It's like, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe. I don't believe. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, we meet Jesus. 
and we clean up the outside a little bit. And then that somehow gives us a license to look down our nose on people who were just where we were 72 hours before. How do we do that? And I know we do it because I did it. Like Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. The only reason he wrote that is because I lived after him. He would have been like, I'm the second chief of sinners. There's this guy named Brandon. You should meet him. Dude is psycho crazy. And the reality of it is this, that we, we were all sinners. And yet, man, I encountered Jesus And in a time frame of 24, 48 hours, I can come back and start looking at everybody else and going, I can't understand why they don't live for Jesus. They will burn in hell. And not only just thinking that, but I would tell them, like, you don't quit doing that, dude. You're going to burn in hell. Crispy critter. That's what you're going to be. And I, I became the... The judge, I became the jury. I became the picture of religious perfection. And my life was so far from perfect. I see it with a lot of people when they come to Christ. But I'll be very honest, I see it happen with young people more. That somehow we come to the knowledge, of, and this don't exclude you old people. Thanks you too. But it happens where we come to know him and all of a sudden we become the judge. Listen, this is what happened in my own life. And some of you heard this. If you've been around the church a long time, you've probably heard this, but you probably forgot it. So listen anyway. But when I first gave my life to the Lord and I began to pursue Jesus, I did just that, man. I started going and, and, and I would judge other people. And it got so bad that I held myself to such a legalistic standard and I held other people to a legalistic standard. Not only did I not like, they did not like me, but I didn't even like myself. And I thought I was doing a great work in the name of the Lord and my zeal. And all I was doing was turning people from the Lord because I didn't trust that his love was enough to change their heart and get them in a relationship with him that would transform their lives. And I remember one night very vividly, Susan and I were sitting at our dinner table right after we'd been married and we were eating um, one of her amazing dinners that she would cook. After we got married, I used to talk bad about cooking in the beginning. I learned that that is unfruitful. And so now I speak of her cooking in good ways. And we're eating one of these awesome dinners and and she had cooked some English peas and there was another meat-like substance that was on the plate and there was some other stuff that was there. And and, and while we're eating, we start talking about some friends that I brought up and, and they just weren't living holy enough for me. And I said, Susan, it's just not right. And she said, Brandon, you just gotta love them. You just gotta trust God. And I slammed my hand down on the table, literally English peas rolled across the table. I hit the table so hard and I said, that's not good enough. And isn't that how the church makes us feel so many times? That's not good enough. And in that moment, it got real quiet and Susan just like starts eating. And I realized like, dude, I got an issue. I got a problem. I was like, I, my name is Brandon and I'm judgmental. You know, I, just, I had to confess it to somebody. And I was struggling. And, and I realized, like, I can't continue 
in this. And listen, I'm not, I'm not going to call you self-righteous because I hate you. I would call you self-righteous because I love you. I would call you legalistic because I love you. I would call you legalistic because I want you to live in the joy of God's grace and in a relationship with him and not in the despair of trying to earn your way to Jesus all of your life. I want to tell you not to be self-righteous because I believe in the power of Christ to change anybody's heart because he changed mine. I believe that with everything in me and I've seen where that road goes. I know how that journey ends and that journey of self-righteousness and legalism. When you try to hold yourself to a standard that you cannot maintain and you try to hold others to a standard that they cannot maintain and you try to hold them to things that they can't possibly accomplish. It all leads to the same place and it is a dead end road that forks and there are two options. One option is I walk away from God because I'm miserable and I cannot stand trying to please this God who always just wants more. The other is to come to a decision that is about grace and how could I not live for this God who's given more than I ever deserved. You're going to end up at that place. And the sad thing is many of you will walk away from God. I want you to understand it is by grace you are saved. It is by grace you are being saved. And it is by grace that your life will continue to be saved and transformed. It is the work of God. Nothing that you could earn. Nothing that you could do. And it only comes through faith. Because when we come to faith in Jesus and we begin to follow him, just as Matthew followed him, we come to a place where we realize his way is better than mine. How could I not follow this God who loves me? And we live out of a place of gratitude, not guilt out of gratitude and not some type of, I've got to do this. But our heart becomes, I want to do this. I want to know him. I want to pursue him. I've got to know him. I can't live without him. And our heart has changed and we become different. I was thinking about Paul, the apostle Paul this week. And I began to think about how Paul lived He could be beaten and while he's in a Roman prison cell with the stench of death all around him, knowing that his own impending death was soon. That he could say rejoice in the Lord again, I say rejoice. And I began to think about Paul's life and how he lived and and, and just the things he did. And I thought about two different scriptures. One is in Philippians 3. 13 and 14. And Paul goes through this whole spill of religious things that he had done, how he had exceeded all of his peers as a Pharisee, how he was born to the right lineage. Everything stacked up on his side. Everything was going his way. And yet he gets to a place where he says, I consider it all rubbish, dung, literally means poo, poo, right? I consider it all to be nothing. Just that I could know him. And he goes and he he begins to worship God literally by proclaiming his goodness. And then he says, listen, and understand this. I don't say that I've already attained all these things. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain ahead for the goal. I strain ahead for Jesus, for the prize. Yet in 1 Timothy Chapter one, verse 10, Paul tells us that, listen, 
Here's a trustworthy saying. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the chief. I'm the worst. How in the world can you say, I forgot all that, and then on the other hand, say, I'm the worst sinner there is? How? I mean, is Paul, is he schizophrenic? Is, is he, like, does he need to go sit down with Joey Fennel at Fresh Start, Start Counseling? I mean, I don't know. I've been there. Don't judge people. That was a little plug, Joey. You can slip me a 20 after service. But, I mean, is he, is he crazy? And I began to think about it. And I believe that Paul never forgot what Jesus had brought him from. But I believe he saw very clearly that there was a distinct mark in his life where he became someone new. That the reason he wrote 2 Corinthians 5.17, that he was in Christ as a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, was not because it made good theology and made good just doctrine, but he wrote it because it was his life experience. He saw himself with two identities. He saw himself as dead before Christ and alive in Christ. So that Paul could say, I just, my memory hasn't been washed. Those things are still there. They might even try to come back up and grab hold of me sometimes and pull me back into despair and loss of hope and to make me not have a good day. And so he, not that he just got brainwashed, but he knew that there was a dividing wall in his life. And that dividing wall is called the cross. And he knew that one day I was on this side and I could be in a place of condemnation and I could live under the weight of God's judgment. But since that day, I crossed over and there is now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ. So I don't want to just wallow in my sin and I don't want to just wallow in the things of my past, but I never want to forget where Jesus brought me from because I can clearly see a mark from the first day that I met him from the rest of my life. I'm a new person. I've received a new identity. And so here's the crazy thing about it. Paul's past and even his current struggles were not a source of condemnation. Here's the even more crazy thing about it. His successes and transformation weren't a source of self-righteousness. But they both became a springboard to worship. Does that make sense? He didn't wallow in the past because that's not who he was. He didn't become self-righteous because he knew that the person he had become wasn't any part of his own doing. He just chose to let both of them lead him into worship because of what Jesus had brought him from. That's the work of Christ. But that does not come church by judging. It doesn't come by trying to hold people to a standard that you yourself do not live. It comes by loving people into a relationship with God. It's loving them into a relationship with Christ, not criticizing them to hell. Because that is what we, church, have done successfully for years and years and years. The 
greatest hindrance to church, the greatest hindrance to a relationship with God for people today is not any other religion and it's not an atheist and it's not a history documentary. It's Christians. I'll give you another example. There was a time when um, I'd hear people talking about a, a, a guy by the name of John Piper. How many of you heard of John Piper, right? And, and just to be very honest, I, I would hear people talk about him and I'd hear them talk and I'd watch them and I'd hear what they'd say. And, and for a long time, I didn't like John Piper. And here's the crazy thing. I'd never heard one of his sermons. The reason I didn't like John Piper is because of the people that like John Piper. And not all of you, if you like John Piper, don't walk out and go, I'm never going right there again. You don't like people that like John Piper. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm telling you is I encountered some people that I wasn't very fond of. They were like, John Piper this, John Piper that, John Piper this, John Piper that. I was like, that dude must be a jerk. And so uh, finally one day I was like, I'm just going to listen to this guy. I just, I was mad. And so I went over and I listened to his website, desiringgod.com. He's got all these messages, incredible website. You know what I found? I found a man who loved Jesus. I found a man who had compassion in his heart. I found a man whose entire life is lived in order to exalt the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A man of humility. A man who was pursuing God. And you could tell in his voice. And you could tell in his passion. And you could tell in his message. I was like, oh my gosh. I need to repent. This guy's nothing like what I thought. Well, isn't it crazy that I had to get past his followers to see his heart? How sad is it that so many times people have to get past the followers of Christ to see his heart? The only way that happens is when we fall into a trap of religion and self-righteousness and we're no longer living out of a relationship with Christ. I believe this, when we begin to lose our need for grace or we begin to not see our need for grace, we begin to think that we have figured it out and we've arrived, we stop admitting we need it. I mean, why would you admit you need something that you don't think you need? And here's one of the biggest traps of the church is when we begin to lose this need for grace, we lose our transparency. And listen to this. Listen. When we lose our transparency, it equals hypocrisy. And I would say that is one of the greatest weapons that Satan is using against the church today. And here's the thing I hear people say all the time. Well, you know, I know like, you don't like church because of hypocrites, but come on, we need one more, you know? What the heck is that? Like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Jesus didn't even like hypocrites. Go read Matthew 23. He rebukes them. Woe to you Pharisees, you hypocrites. And somehow we're like, yeah, I'm a hypocrite. What? And I don't, I don't get that. Because see, let me, let me tell you, a hypocrite is someone who claims something that they don't have. 
And the church is full of people who claim to be something that they're not. But I will tell you this. That when the church finally comes back to a place of transparency, we will see the power of God move. When we quit trying to hide and make ourselves look good, and we finally come to the place, not of wallowing in sin, but of admitting the fact that we're not perfect, but we know the one who is, then maybe other people will be able to walk in the doors and say, you know what? I'm as messed up as they are, but I want something that they have. But can they walk in the doors of this church? Can they walk in the doors of any church? Can they come? And I say they, we're they. The only difference in us is Jesus has turned us from sinner to saint. But no works of our own. Can we really, can we really say that we live transparently? Are we willing to admit our faults? Listen, I want to explain something to you because here's where I know, like a lot of you, Um, And I love you and and I'm thankful for you and I appreciate your encouragement. But I know some of you, after messages on Sunday, some of you feel like this. We need to go take your shoestrings. Right? Because you think I'm going to go home and hang myself. Right? I mean, literally. You you come to this place because... I'll stand up here and I'll say things like, man, I was backstage before the message and, and I, was back, I was about to throw up. I was so nervous. I was about to yak. I, I really was. I was so nervous. I was nervous today. I get nervous every Sunday. I'll say things like this. I don't feel like the message is very good. One of the thorns in my flesh is that, that I just don't feel like it's ever very good. I don't know. And maybe one of the things that God uses in me is this, this, this feeling of, of maybe it's not quite good enough. Maybe that keeps me humble and before him that it wouldn't dominate my life, but that it would keep me on my knees looking to him for my competence and not to other people. And here's the thing that I want you to understand. I don't say those things just to stand up here so that after the service, people can come up and go, I just want you to know, man, your messages are good. Like, I appreciate it. And you can do it like every one of you, all 800, whatever you over here, you can come up after the service and be like, man, that was good. I appreciate it. And I need encouragement. But here's the reason I share those things. It's not that I can stand up here and just suck it up. And go home and get in a feeble position, you know, a fetal position in in the shower and be like, oh, God, God." I could do that. I could. I mean, I, I could put on a facade. But here's my hope. Here's what I hope would happen is that by me being willing to share my struggles and my, my, my inadequacies, that somehow you might be willing to share yours. I could stand up here and act perfect. My gosh, my prayer is that transparency will come into our lives. And listen, I'm not perfectly transparent. Isn't that crazy? And none of us are. But listen, it's okay to not be okay. In this church, it's okay to not be okay. Because I believe this, that when God gets a hold of your life, he's not going to leave you that way. He will change your heart. I can't save you. I can't change you. The only thing I can do is point you to the one who can. Point you to the one who loves you. I believe when we lose our transparency, we, we come to this place where we no longer see our need for grace. We no longer admit we need grace. So we lose our transparency. And then we no longer offer grace. Because if we prop ourselves up on our self-righteousness, 
How can we ever humble ourselves to offer it to other people in a way that doesn't turn them off? I can tell you this, I've been to that place, I have propped myself up, I still have to watch out for propping myself up on self-righteousness, I still have to watch out for propping myself up when I preach a message and walk off the stage and feel like spiking my Bible, I still have to watch out for propping myself up, for, for thinking, man, I did that, or I did that, but here's the thing I can tell you, is that every time I've ever propped myself up on something that I've done, or something that I've accomplished, I've always fallen. But the reality of it is God's love never fails. Everything. There there are 10 of y'all. Awesome. Everybody else is asleep. Somebody was dreaming about Joe Flacco. I know. The reality of it is, guys, like we've got nothing to stand on. But the word of God. We've got nothing that we can stand on that is secure, but Jesus. And that's not like saying, well, we got nothing else. Let's turn to the Lord. You hear people all the time like, well, all we can do now is pray. Was that the last option? <laughs> like we've got the ability to stand on the rock. It will not be shaken. And we have the ability to offer to other people the grace that will change their lives. Jesus came to Matthew and he came to him and he didn't come with a list of requirements and he didn't come to him with a list of prerequisites or prequalifications. He came to him with this sincere and unconditional love of Jesus. I want to tell you, church, I want to tell you, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, and this is one time you can come up to me and you don't have to pat me on the back. You can smack me in the back of the head. If we become a church that is unwilling to offer unconditional love and the unconditional grace of Jesus Christ to those who are far from him, then we need to quit and you need to slap me upside the head. We might fight. Guys, that's what it's about. It's about the life transforming power of Jesus. It's about us offering him the same, others the same grace that he's offered us. And this is what I can tell you. Every time this scandalous grace is offered by Jesus and by those who follow him, it always comes in conflict with religion. And we always hear about it. But I will make this vow to you. We will not back down from preaching the greatest news in the history of the world. That's what we are called to do. Is to proclaim this news that the worst, what we deem the worst, what we deem as people who are too far gone. We look at them even as obstacles. And yet Jesus looks at them and he sees an opportunity. This is what I know. There are people in here today that that you, you probably haven't been in church, if ever, in a long time. And there's some of you who've just been going because you knew that was like what you're supposed to do. And here's the thing I would tell you is that today my prayer and has been all week. And Susan has watched me wrestle with this message to the point of almost punching me in the nose. But she's seen me wrestle with this message. Even at Amelia Island, I was wrestling with this because I so badly want you to get this. I so badly want you to understand 
understand this. And those who've been turned off by church, forgive his followers and look to his heart. I know the scorn you felt. I know how you felt like people have looked down your no- their nose at you. I know how you feel like you've been judged. And I would tell you this, that the Bible is clear that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. You know what John 3.16 says? Go read John 3.17. And I trust that God's work and his love in our hearts will lead us to follow him. That his grace will call us out of darkness into light. I was in a place one time and it hasn't been too awful long ago. And I've had this happen several times as a pastor being in a place where we're praying for somebody. And I was, I was in this place and, and uh, we were about to pray for somebody and there was another pastor there and we're getting ready to pray. And he looked around and he said, if there's anybody in here who doesn't have faith, we need to know. We need to know. Because we need people who have faith. And he began to look around the room. And me and Susan are standing there and kind of like, I've been following Jesus as hard as I can for almost 13 years. I've been loving the Lord with everything I got for a lot of years. Susan's been a saint as long as I've known her. And at that moment, I was like, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Does God love me? I thought, maybe I need to leave. And I want to tell you that story because this is what I felt at that moment. I felt all the scorn and all the judgment that used to keep me from knowing Christ. That used to keep me from drawing close to him. I want you to get past that and see the heart of a God who gave his best so that you could know him. I want you to get past the fact of thinking, this thought of that you have of, there's no way I can come to God. Look at what, what I've done. Look at who I am. When scripture is clear, he came for those who are hurting, those who are sick, those who need a doctor, what does a doctor do but heal those who are hurting? I have full confidence in this. If you allow God's grace to draw you out of darkness into light, he will heal you. And he will change your heart and he will change your life. So many of us come to a place of deciding to follow Jesus before we have faith in him. We follow him thinking that somehow I'll come to faith. What I would encourage you with is to go to a place of trusting him and then you will follow. We put fruit ahead of a relationship. We put our behavior ahead of heart transformation. So many of us have put our relationship with Christ on the back burner because we feel like no way he can do it for me. And I'm just here to tell you today that he can. His grace is all sufficient 
He saves us through his grace. He is saving us through his grace. And he will save us through his grace. Will you trust him? Will you see his heart for you? And just follow him. Who would not want to follow that God? Let's pray, Lord. Thank you so much for your love and your grace and the power of who you are. God, thank you that you call us to a place of walking out of darkness and into light. And God, I pray that for those who don't know you that today a light would go off and God they would realize your heart for them and your love for them and that they would follow you with everything in them Lord I pray God I pray that for those who have drifted from you God who've propped themselves up on what they look like and what other people think that they would humble themselves today and remember what you've done in their life that bring us as a church to transparency. That we're not perfect, but we know the one who is, and we know who, the one who is transforming our hearts that we could become perfect. God, speak to our hearts in this place now. To walk out of here right now without giving you an opportunity to come to know the God that is so crazy about that so loves you that so wants to use you for his glory and we'd be missing a great opportunity for God to do a miracle in this place today and so today right now I want to ask you do you know him Have you felt him speak to your heart today and draw you close to him? Have your eyes been open? Maybe you've been living a life of trying to hide from God and today you realize, why would I? This God that came for the sick, that heals the sinners, why would I hide from him? Today you say, I want to know him. I want to be in a relationship with him. I want to celebrate that with you. I want to pray with you. I want us to be able to minister to you and help you take your next steps of faith. But the first step is to say, I want to know him. I want to accept his invitation. Today, you want that. You want to know him, to walk in a relationship with him, to be used to glorify him. So I don't want you to, right where you said, I want you to put your hand in the air right now. Just stick it up in the air. You want to know him. Amen. This is, listen, hold your hand. Just go ahead. Put it up. You can hold it up. Nobody's going to, amen. His hands everywhere. Amen. Listen, we want to pray for you. We want to help you. I'm just going to ask you, if you will, just get up and let's walk, walk straight out the back doors so we can pray for you. Listen, nobody's looking around. Nobody cares. Just get up and walk out. Let us pray for you. Take this step of faith and say that I trust God. Don't raise your hand and stay in your seat.
Amen. Here's the thing I would say. Let's just say it this way. One more chance. You know today that things aren't right in your heart. Get up and walk out the freaking doors. thank you for your grace humble us that we'd be transparent before you God we love you I thank you for people God who right now they can't move but God their heart is longing for you touch their lives touch their hearts right now where they sit God they don't have to be in a hallway to encounter you I thank you for them and I praise you for them and I trust God that your love will work in their lives in an incredible way Jesus' name.